When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe, I got to tell you, it's great to have the workout anytime on board 5460 as one of our sponsors. Many of our listeners already know that workout anytime as their hometown club where they can work out on their schedule 24-7. Others might be aware that workout anytime is a great business opportunity as well. That's right, Mike. Workout Anytime is one of the top 200 fastest growing franchises in the country. And they've been at this for more than 20 years. And they're currently in 22 different states. And they're internationally in Honduras and Costa Rica. How about that? You know what? Opening up a gym is becoming a real big part. How about $30 billion in health and fitness industry is what you're talking about this year. Never has it been any easier to invest in Workout Anytime franchise. Joe, you know you and I or one in five American adults that have a fitness membership? Yeah, I did know that. As a matter of fact, and I'm told that number is expected to nearly double in the next 10 years. I know these folks that work out anytime, and I have known them for a long time. They're so passionate about the industry, and their franchises rave about the support that they give the company. Well, here's a great business tip. Go to WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com and learn more. And while you're there, you can see the map of available locations and find out how you can arrange an initial phone conversation to hear more about the proven Workout Anytime business model. That's WorkoutAnytimeFranchise.com. Welcome to 5460, the Joe West podcast. Featuring former Major League Baseball umpire Joe West. For six decades, no one has seen more baseball than Joe West. And now he shares those stories with you every week right here on the Podcast Heat Network. Now listen, Joe West is asking the Reds to leave the field. I guess maybe... As a form of security. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. So what is he doing? He, he wants to throw him out or what? He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Who, which guy are we talking about backing away? Well, come to think of it, hey, it's both guys. <laughs> Somebody's been tossed, and here comes Cox. It was Bobby Cox who threw the helmet out there. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Now Joe's going to give him some argument because Mark's saying, "Why do you do?" Joe, just get over there and umpire, will you? Yeah. Just get over there and umpire. No. That's all. It's 5460. The Joe West Podcast. Here's Joe West and your host, Mike Claiborne. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast. I'm Mike Claiborne, Joe West alongside. And we have a special guest today, a person that we've all admired and read his work. We see his work on ESPN. And you can also hear his work 
on ESPN. Longtime baseball. I don't know what to call him, Joe West, other than just one of the good guys in the industry who knows his stuff. He's Tim Kirchin. Tim, thanks for joining us, and it's a pleasure to visit with you, sir. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Joe. You can call me whatever you want, but I am a baseball nerd. I'm a baseball dork, and I'm proud of both of those. And that started for you at an early age, right? Oh, my dad was a really good player. He gave his three boys a real feel for the game. He taught us how to play the game. My two brothers are in the Baseball Hall of Fame at Catholic University, great college players. This was the primary language spoken in my house growing up. I don't know anything about anything else in the world. I stink at everything, but I love basketball. But mostly, mostly, I love baseball, and this has been with me my whole life. And for you, um, you started, what, 40 years ago? You're in that vicinity, right? Well, it's a little more than that now. Late late 70s, early 80s, Washington Star, around the Orioles quite a bit, writing then, did some minor league baseball, then went to cover the Rangers, went back to cover the Orioles, went to Sports Illustrated. So we're talking 42 years, and <clears throat> it shows in the color of my hair. <laughs> well, at least you have some. I, I'm, start, I'm starting 42 in February, so I've been there, seen that, done that. And one of the fun things about what we do for a living we didn't start covering baseball, and I know for you, you covered a lot of things uh, that had nothing to do with baseball just to earn your stripes. Yeah, I, I did. I've only done sports because I can't do anything else, but I did some football. I did some basketball, and I loved it, but I always knew deep down inside that I needed to cover baseball for a living because it's the best game, and our Octobers every year prove what a great game it is. Every night we go to a ballpark, we – we might see something that we've never seen before. I've already seen that in this October. And that's the ultimate beauty of the game. Just when you think you understand it, you realize that you don't. The game is too good to be predicted. It's the most unpredictable, beautiful game there's ever been. Well, that's, that's because uh, the way it comes around, you got to hit a round ball with a cylindrical bat. You got to hit it square. And uh, you you say you've seen witness things that are unbelievable. You you were there on the field and uh, when we had a rain delay in the World Series between the Cubs and the Indians. <laughs> and uh, no one thought either one of those teams would ever win a World Series again. And uh, you were there for that. And I think you even said that was one of your highlights of your career was seeing that series. It was. I think. I think that might have been, and I don't want to exaggerate here, the biggest night in baseball history, given where the Cubs were coming from. They hadn't won since 1908. The Indians hadn't won since 1948. More people watched that game than any game in the history of baseball. And it was a game seven on a beautiful night between those two teams after a spectacular series and a spectacular postseason. And then we get a game seven to remember like that. That might be the biggest night in baseball history, and I'll never forget going back to my hotel, 1.30 in the morning in Cleveland, and there's a guy about my age, and he's literally crying alone at the elevator. And I had to ask him, like any sensitive person might, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I just spoke to my dad. He's, you know, 92. He'd never seen the Cubs win the World Series, and I just got off the phone with him. This is what baseball does for people, especially this time of year. So how long have you and Joe known each other? Because, you know, Joe West has never met a stranger. So when did yeah. you first connect with Joe? Well, I've known Joe for a long time, but I really got to know him in the last few years. We'd go out once in a while after games, and all of a sudden Joe would show up with Rita, and, and it was great, and he would tell stories, and it was hilarious, and you'd have a beer with an umpire, which I hadn't done that too many times. But then I wrote a gigantic story on Joe a couple of years ago, and I spent about two hours talking to him, and that's when I really got to know who Joe West was. And if I may, we were walking back to our cars after lunch, after having lunch at his club in Florida, and these you know, this this mom and son were walking through the, the, the parking lot and he stopped them and said, hey, I got some stuff for you. They have no idea what's going on. And he gave them a bunch of baseballs and all this memorabilia because that's what he does for kids, especially here. Take this as a memento uh, for the game. And I thought that was a really nice thing to do, selling the game to total strangers like that.
Well, that's uh, also made you sign a ball for those kids because uh, <laughs> I think I think the mother knew who you were. She had no idea who I was. <laughs> uh, I think I explained to the mother this man is going to is going to umpire more games than anyone in baseball history. I think her eyes perked up a little bit on that one, and so did the boys. But it was great. Happy to help anytime. There's a kid who wants to get into baseball or interested in it. You can count me. Hey, Tim, for you, um, you've covered this game for a long time, uh, and we're going through some changes now, uh, some rule changes, some other things that are going on. Do you like the direction of the game now? Um, look, I'm an old guy. I'm 65. I'm really hesitant to change, but I'm sorry. I think it's time we need to do some things. I love the game. Please don't get me wrong, but – we have too many walks, too many strikeouts, too many homers, and not enough in between. And I think, and Mark Teixeira has convinced me of this, it's time to do something with the shift. I'm actually in favor of what they're doing. We're going to start next season with two guys on the right, two infielders on the right side of the bag and two on the left side of the bag, and all four feet or all eight feet are going to be on the infield dirt. The way Tashera explained it to me, let's just take Joey Gallo as an example. He he goes to the plate now, and he sees four guys on the right side of the infield, and he knows, well, I can't hit it through there, so I have to hit it over that. And that's where the launch angle comes from. That's where the walks and the strikeouts come from. That's where the homers come from. If the same Joey Gallo goes to the plate and sees, hey, I can hit a hard ground ball up the middle and get it, hit here. I can hit a hard ground ball between the first and second baseman and get a hit here. Maybe that will lead to more hits. We have lost the value of the hit today in this avalanche of home runs. I think we need to put the ball in play more, get a few more hits, put put a few more players in motion and see what happens. That's why I'm hoping the shift changes will work. Well, do you, don't you think that's why the Guardians are, are in the playoffs this year is because they play baseball a little different than everybody else? Absolutely. They strike out by a mile fewer than any team in the American League this year. They are different offensively. They're not great offensively, but they're so different offensively, putting the ball in play, moving guys around, lead the league in sacrifice flies, will bunt if they have to. That's why they've been successful offensively is they have a formula that is so different than everyone else. That and great pitching, of course, and really good defense are the reason that the Guardians are here. Well, you know, I I think about the Guardians, and when you see guys who have more walks and strikeouts, they they stand out so much. And as you mentioned, they put the ball in play. They they go the other way. They do all the little things that we just don't see. And I know recently you brought up a stat about a team that went 161 games without a sacrifice bunt. Uh, those those sort of things need to be brought back to the game with regard to keeping it interesting because anytime you make the other guy touch the ball as a defender, anything can happen. And it's certainly when you lay down a bunt, we've seen so many times where people have fielded and launch it in the right field or do whatever they need to do with it. They don't do it right because they don't do it enough. Right. A ball in play is always, always, always better than a strikeout. Maybe the defense will make a mistake, and that's what happens. So in game 161, the Braves bunted for the first time this year. They had zero sacrifice bunts through 160 games. Brian Snicker was really funny yesterday telling us, he said, he, he apologized to his team for bunting in that situation. Sorry, we weren't going to be the only team with zero sacrifice bunt. But he said it called for it. And Michael Harris, who's a rookie, of course, he, Snit had to ask him, have you ever bunted before? <laughs> Imagine that. So Michael Harris goes, yes, I bunted in the minor leagues before. So they gave him the bunt. They got the bunt down because it called for it. And it's going to call for another bunt at some point in this postseason. And at least Michael Harris will be ready because he's done it once, even though he's the only guy on the team that did it this year. Joe, I'll never figure out why somebody sells for blog coffee every day. Just being one click away, you'll have some of the best coffee you'll ever find with Trade Coffee. You can start every morning with something special. Mike, that's right. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before. They partner with the top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. The Trade Coffee team, well, they do all the work. They taste hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month. 
and they curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. The trade team actually worked with me to create my own custom collection. So if you want your coffee to taste great, but not too strong, go check out my collection at Trade. But you don't have to like what I picked. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or by flavor profile. Or you can take their coffee quiz and get expertly matched coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your favorite tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You only have to do one thing. You have nothing to lose. Trade guarantees you will love the first bag. And if not, they'll work out with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at your home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering listeners a total of $30 off of your first order, plus shipping is free at drinktrade.com slash Joe West. That's drinktrade.com slash Joe West for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Well, let me ask you a question about the, the shift that they put in because <clears throat> I know they've uh, they've covered that uh, all the infielders have to be on the dirt. And uh, over the course of my working all those games, I noticed that the dirt's not the same everywhere. The dirt in Wrigley Field has never been to spec with the rest of the stadiums. And and I'm going I'm to bring up a name here, Rod Carew. Does, does the third baseman have to stay on the dirt when he bats? No, the third baseman can be in front of the dirt because okay. Rod Carew is the greatest bunter I've ever seen. I know yeah. Brett Butler got a million bunt hits, and I've seen a lot of great bunters in my time. But <laughs> nobody, nobody was better than Rod Carew. He used to practice in spring training bunting into once in a while into a bucket because that's how good he was at it. So, yes, the third baseman can come in on the grass. We're just trying to keep them from going onto the outfield grass to start a play. And, again, I'm not saying this is going to work. I'm saying this is worth a try, because maybe we'll get a few more bun hits. Yesterday I did the game, the Braves and the Phillies, and Matt Olson hit a rocket between the first baseman and the second baseman on one hop. And the second baseman is playing so deep in right field that he threw Matt Olson out at first. That should have been a hit. Next year, that will be a hard single to right field. That's what I believe we need more of, not less of, in the game today. Speaking of hitters, um, you were talking about Tony Gwynn recently. Um, and I, I thought he was a phenomenal hitter. And From what you've seen and covered, who's the greatest hitter you've ever seen? Well, Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter I've ever seen, period. And that's the end of the discussion. But we're, we're not going to go there. We're going to talk about batting average alone. Tony Gwynn is the greatest batting average hitter putting the bat to the ball that I have ever seen. Tony Gwynn had 297 three-hit games and one three-strikeout game in his career. He never struck out more than 40 times in any season. And in the 94 season, the year he had 394, he told me he used one bat for the entire season without breaking it. He would keep it out against maybe Jeff Facero, left-hander that could get in on him. But for, for all intents and purposes, he used one bat the whole year. That's how many times he hit the ball on the barrel that year. And the next spring, he broke that bat in spring training on a backfield in Peoria, taking batting practice against Rob Picciolo. And Tony looked at me and he said, I almost started to cry. And Peach told, Peach, Peach told me, I almost started to cry also. That's how good Tony Gwynn was. I hope people understand what we watched all those years because that player, sorry, does not exist anymore. The guy who puts 5.5 on the tongue of his spikes as a reminder, when in doubt, hit a hard ground ball between the third baseman and the shortstop, the 5.5 hole. Nobody thinks that way anymore except Tony Gwynn did every single day of his career. Well, you know, uh, we talk we – We've had some nice relationships with Mike Shannon. He had a radio show there in St. Louis. And, and Mike and I have sat there and listened to Mike talk about Stan Musial. He said, Stan hit every ball in the sweet spot, just like you're talking about Tony. And he said, 
you'd pick up Stan's bat and it'd have one mark on it. And that's where he'd hit the ball every time. And he said, you pick up my bat, it had marks all over it. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, Stan could do that. He could play the whole year with one bat, just like you said about Tony. He said, but you're right. There are very few people that can handle the bat like that. And I think, yeah, and, and Rod Carew was one of the first ones to say, what would you hit if they put the shift on you? He said 900. <laughs> but, uh, and, and a lot of people fail to realize that these guys hit the ball the other way, you know, and you look back on the, the great hitters of the game, like you're just talking about, you know, Hank Aaron hit a lot of home runs to right center field as well as left center field. And he hit the ball on the line. And I think what you're saying about worrying about launch angle and hitting it over him, I think that's, I think that's part of our problem today is we're not teaching the basic fundamentals. If they, they throw the ball inside, uh, the hitter should try to pull it. If they throw the ball on the outside, why are you trying to pull it to the shortstop? You know, you can't, you can't hit like that. And, uh, and I think some of it is because we're not teaching the basic fundamentals of hitting because um, I saw Barry Bonds as a young player and he could hit the ball the other way. He could hit the ball in the gap to left field. Um, and, and I saw, uh, you know, Albert Pujols and he could hit the ball the other way. And, um, it's just, a, it's a matter of, uh, handling the bat. And I, I, I know that when I was growing up, we used to play pepper. I can't remember the last time I saw big league ballplayers play pepper. Joe pepper is outlawed in major league ballparks. Right. Please. Someone explain to me the value of outlawing. Pepper. Larry Bow once told me, great infielder, of course, great shortstop for the Phillies. He took infield every day. But when it rained and there was a tarp on the field before the game, he would go down to the indoor batting cage and play Pepper with one of the coaches. This is 10 years into his career to make sure he could see a ball come off of a bat before he went out and played a major league game. It helps your hands. It helps your eyes. I don't understand. These are some of the things that we've done that just drive me crazy. And speaking to Hank Aaron, by the way, if you took away all 755 of his homers, he still had 3,000 hits. Think about that for a second. And, and as for Stan Musial, Stan Musial, like Tony Gwynn, had one three-strikeout game in his career. One. And in 1943, I think it was not, not important, he had more triples than strikeouts in a season. He had 20 triples and 18 strikeouts in a season. We have guys who literally strike out 18 times in a, in a week. In a week. <laughs> it's, again, we all understand it's harder. I believe it's harder to hit today than any other time in Major League history. But I'm not going to let anybody tell me that Stan Musial, if we brought him into today and showed him what was like, that he wouldn't find a way to adjust and be a good hitter. I've had people tell me Ted Williams couldn't hit in today's era. You've got to be kidding me. I I'm not saying he's I'm saying he would figure out how to hit that slider. He would figure out how to hit 100 miles an hour because he's the greatest hitter other than Babe Ruth that we've ever seen. So please, let's let's give our due to the biggest and best players from from way way back. Well, hey, that's Tim. that's true. You know, the, Mike, we had uh, we had Rick Barry on one of our our shows earlier, and they and they said uh, he he made the statement that uh, they said he couldn't play basketball in today's game. He said, I couldn't play in today's game with all the, the health stuff that you have and the, the training tables and the work workout regiments today. He said, I'd be better today than I was back then. <laughs> Talking about all the advances we've had in, in the medical part of the field. He said, he said, I'd be better today. He says, furthermore, he said, I knew how to play the game. These guys today don't know how to play the game. Rick Barry was a six foot seven inch small forward who could shoot it with anyone. One of the great free throw shooters of all time, a tremendous defender and one of the great passers at six, seven that we've ever seen. The thought that Rick Barry couldn't play today, please. You've got to be kidding me. I, I agree. Hey, Tim, you, you mentioned hitters. <clears throat> what about what we saw with Albert Pujols this year at 42 uh years old? And, you know, at one point he thought about walking away because he didn't get off to the best of starts. Where do you rank him? Because I always remind people, we'll never see another guy like him. And I thought the most intriguing record or number that he has in his career, he's second 
all time in RBIs behind the great Henry Aaron. I, I think it just says what a money player he he was always in his career. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, though, Mike, that we don't value RBIs anymore. We consider them a useless statistic, which just makes me go like this. <laughs> go, go look at all the greatest, the leaders in RBI. They're like the, the top 20 players of all time. This is not a coincidence that our greatest players drove in the most runs. So Albert had one of the most remarkable seasons anyone's ever had. I mean, the, the last... You know, he and Aaron Judge hit the most home runs from like September or or August the 1st on for the season. He did it at age 42. Nobody has ever done what Albert did this late in his career. It's just another reminder. When you're this great, you can figure it out. And that's what he did. To me, he's the greatest, second greatest first baseman of all time after Lou Gehrig. And in some order, he's one of the five greatest right-handed hitters of all time. And when you're including him with, with Hornsby, Jimmy Fox, Willie Mays, and Hank Aaron, and that's your five in some order, uh, that's an awfully impressive group. This episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic. And CarShield's administrators handle all the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or the headaches. You're taken care of. The same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast -coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost. Get coverage today and you'll lock up your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. Yeah, but do you think the RBI is, is looked down on by, by the media and by the players because you don't get paid for them? In other well, words, they, they, they're not a statistic that you walk in and say, well, I had 130 RBIs. I mean, I remember a, a left fielder for the Cincinnati Reds, George Foster, when he played for the Big Red Machine, he got over 100 RBIs every year. And when he left them and he, and he went to the Mets, he didn't get that many RBIs because they weren't as good a ball club. Because if you got guys on base, he could drive them in. Right. And, Look, uh, I agree. RBIs can be a misleading statistic. You can knock in 100 runs and not have a great offensive season. We all understand that. But to put a flat out RBIs do not matter, as we've heard. I'm sorry. I'm just not buying that. And George Foster is a perfect example. He was a great hitter, but it depends on the team that you're on, how many RBIs you will end up with. But great RBI guys are very hard to find. Albert Pujols was one of them. And, and just like yesterday, the game that I did, this sounds like a very small thing. Alec Bohm led the league in sacrifice flies this year with 10. I was talking to him about it during before the game, that he led the league in sacrifice flies. And when he comes to the plate in that situation, he says, ball in the air, I get a run in. And his first at bat, he hit a sacrifice fly, which is what we're looking for once in a while. Somebody who says, I'm going to run in no matter what. And he did. Well, that's know, the point is winning the game. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a big point. You talked about Larry Boa earlier. When he went over to coach the – the Dodgers, when Joe Torrey took over, he, he said the, the hardest thing I had to instill in these ballplayers today is what's your first responsibility to go out there? And the guys would go, out, well, I want to get a couple of hits. He said, no, your first responsibility is to play well enough to win the game. And that and that used to that used to eat at him. He'd get so angry that they didn't think like that because when he was coming up in the Phillies organization, that's what they taught him is your first responsibility is to win the game. Right. And hey, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we think that way all the time, Joe. Yes, Mike. Sorry. I was going to ask you, Tim, you know, baseball has so many statistics, so many things to track how people produce. 
are we at a point maybe we need to look at what the productive out can be? We, we just talked about the sacrifice, the sacrifice bunt, sacrifice fly. What about when a guy can move a runner along and, and hitting it to the right side of the infield or doing something to move a runner along to keep an inning alive and maybe even drive in a run before it's all said and done? Are we at that point where maybe we ought to look at that a little bit more? Yeah, I have a, I have a great story to put in right here for that because that's a good point. Go ahead, Joe. I'm working, I'm working home plate and I'm not thinking about anything. And Ted Simmons comes to bat and he's still playing with the Cardinals at the time. There's a runner on second base with no outs. It's in the middle of the game and the pitch is uh, probably right down the middle, if I remember it correctly. And Ted hit a ground ball to the right side of the infield. He's batting right handed. He was a switch hitter and he just, like he was playing pepper. He hit it to the right side of the infield to get the runner to third base. So he comes out to catch the next inning. And I said, my word, you just kind of punched that to the right side to get the guy over. He says, if you can't ask the third place hitter to move the runner over, how do you ask the eighth place hitter to do that? And it kind of resonated with me. Yeah, he's playing to win the game. He's not playing for his statistics. He's playing to get the runner on third to be sure we get him in. And I'm, uh, I'm completely, I'm completely with you on this, Joe. And Mike, we, as you know, we do, we do track productive outs and stuff like that, but we don't do enough of it. And our guys today, who are so spectacularly talented, are have just not been trained by the industry to hit a ground ball to the second baseman. I was sitting with Buck Showalter 15 years ago when he was at baseball tonight working with me, which was some of my greatest days ever. And a guy couldn't get somebody over and Buck looked at me and he said, I'm 50 years old right now. And I can hit a ground ball in the second baseman right now. And, and yet we don't, think that way and it worries me with the whole ghost runner rule in the 10th inning which naturally i'm not a fan of in in many ways that pointed out how bad we are at just advancing somebody 90 feet and uh, so for all those people who love the rule i get it i don't like it but i think it also points out that our hitters as good as they are just have not been trained to hit a ball over there and move the guy to third so we can get him in and win the game well, you have batting practice, and years ago, everybody had to bunt twice in batting practice. What, what would keep them from saying, okay, there's a guy on second base, move him over, instead of, you know, taking an extra swing in the cage? I'm, it's, it's like you said, we, we have to promote and teach our game the right way. And, and uh, I'm sorry, but we're, we're going in the wrong direction, you know. We, you, I know you wrote a book with George Will, and uh, we had him on here one time. And he, he was talking about the fundamentals of putting the ball in play and just the same things you're talking about now. What what was the name of that book? I'm fascinated with Sacrifice Flies or something. We just talked about it, didn't we? Yes. George wrote the foreword for that book. So I didn't write it with him, but he wrote the foreword to the book. And he's absolutely right. The ball in play is important. As you guys know, <laughs> strikeout rate right now is so out of control. It's unbelievable. We're basically at 18 strikeouts per game on average. Whereas in the 1960 World Series, game seven, the famous Mazeroski game, there were zero strikeouts in that game. 10 to nine, the Pirates beat the Yankees and there were no strikeouts in game seven of the 1960 World Series. And now routinely, in a playoff game, we have 20 strikeouts per game. Now, again, that speaks to the stuff that our pitchers have today. We all acknowledge we've never seen this kind of velocity. Ryan Hensley throwing 104 miles an hour is a joke. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but too much of that leads to too many strikeouts and too many balls not in play. And, again, something I believe needs to be done. I want to talk about pitching for a second. Um you talk about the the pitch clock, where you think its impact is going to have. I think the pitch clock might be one of the best things because it, it doesn't make a pitcher – he can't think too much on the mound. We see guys kicking the dirt, walking around, and especially after the sixth inning when you get the relievers in, they come in and they slow the game down to a crawl. So with the pitch clock being implemented, how much of an impact do you think it will have as far as guys being better focused and being able to throw better strikes? All right. Well, this is a question for Joe, but I'm going to answer it real quickly. I think it's worth a try. I covered a minor league game in Las Vegas this year, and I watched the pitch clock, and it seemed to keep the game moving. 
However, it's going to be a major adjustment for a lot of these pitchers that have never been told you got 15 seconds or 20 seconds. It's also going to be a big adjustment for the hitters who are used to stepping out of the box and doing whatever they want to do. I mean, we're going to run into all sorts of issues and our umpires are going to have to take care of a lot of those issues. So, Joe, what do you think about the pitch clock? You're an umpire. Is this a good thing for the game or a bad thing for the game? Well, it's a it's a good thing because you have to make everybody aware of it. And what you saw in that minor league game is exactly right. The, the game will move. But I, I think the funny thing is, is the the time you're giving them is 15 seconds. The, the time used to be 13 seconds and you were supposed to get on the mound and get the ball back and pitch within 13 seconds. Now, and, and the funny thing is, is we had this kid in Chicago one day. and This is the only time I ever called a ball on a pitcher for taking too long to throw it. The only time in my career. And then I find out the kid's got asthma and he was trying to catch his breath. <laughs> so I felt like the worst SOB in the world for calling the ball on this kid, you know. But the point is, you can't let him step out of the box. And if you'll remember, I, I, I mentioned the big red machine earlier. If, you, if you'll if you remember, those guys didn't step out of the box. Well, they got in the box, they stayed there. And they were ready to hit the whole time. These guys, I mean, Garcia Parr made it famous about fixing his batting gloves and all that stuff. You know, I saw Jack Nicholas play golf. He put his glove on when he got out of the car, and he didn't touch it until the match was over. These guys today have more little intricacies they do when they get up to hit. Um, and and the other thing is, if you can keep the hitter in the box, the pitcher's going to pitch faster. I think some of our problem is the hitters are, are slowing down the game. Also, you got to get in the box. When the guy gets in the box, stay there. Don't step out. Stay there. And uh, I know I've told this story a hundred times, but I'll tell it again. I remember when Big Poppy announced he was going to retire. He came to home plate, and uh, the, the story goes back to the first time I ever saw him was uh, in a spring training game in Tinker Field in Orlando. And he came out, and he stormed the ball around, and uh, when he got threw the ball back in the dugout, I said, you know, I really hope you play in this league a long time. And he says, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I said, because as long as you're in this league, I won't be the ugliest guy in it. <laughs> so, so sure enough, uh, he announces his retirement the first of his last season. And he comes to bat, I think it was in the, I want to say, May or June. And he says, uh, I have something to tell you. I said, I don't want to hear you guys take too long to play. Get in the box, you know. And he's, he said, no, just let me tell you one thing. So. I said, okay, tell me one. He said, you know, I'm retiring. I said, I don't care if you're retiring. Get in the box. Let's go. And he says, I just want you to know next year you'll be the ugliest guy. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the whole whole point of this is, I mean, we we have walk-up music. Why do you have walk-up music? You know, don't announce the hitter's name till he steps in the batter's box. I think that's another problem. We've actually told some of the announcers at different times don't announce their name till they get in the box. And that's, that's when you should announce them. Now batting Barry Bonds, now batting Albert Pujols. Uh, don't announce it. And, and for the, for the life of me, I think the Mets of the middle eighties started all this walk-up music. They made it like it was a Broadway production. And um, so I think that takes away from it. And, it. and it's really sad when you listen to a sports information director tell you, Oh, I've got to get his walk-up music right. Who cares? <laughs> you know, the walk-up music. <laughs> Guys, it's time to bring that summer heat back into the bedroom. That's right. Confidence can take you far in life. It can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet and at the fraction of a cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of our licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive a prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no doctor's office visits, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. 
Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. They always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? Yeah, it's time to get off the couch and back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, you need BlueChew.com. Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence, and BlueChew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you can benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Joe West at checkout. Just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code Joe West to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Well, Tim, um, we've, we've covered a few things here. What, what's the one thing? I want to go back to pitching for one hot second. You've seen a lot of great pitchers. Who's the best pitcher? Who, and, but, but, and also, who's the best strike thrower? And who had the best control you've ever seen? Well, Greg Maddox is the greatest control pitcher, I believe, of all time. And for career value, and this is very debatable, I think he's the best pitcher I've ever seen. And that's even better than Roger Clemens and Randy Johnson and Tom Seaver even because of Maddox's understanding of what this took. By the way, he had 999 walks in his career in over 5,000 innings. And... (laughs) He, I was told that he did not walk anybody his last four starts because he knew he had 999 walks <laughs> and there was no way in hell he was going to have a guys in his career. And he knew this with three starts to go and didn't walk anybody those final three starts in order to stay at 999. That's what a control pitcher he was. And Leo Mazzoni told me once that Maddox went to the bullpen, threw his bullpen in between starts, which he and Glavin did every time. And he went to the bullpen once and he threw a fastball down and away, one pitch and only one pitch to one location for the entire bullpen session because he knew in his next start, the team was going to especially have trouble with that pitch. And he went and practiced one pitch to one location for the entire bullpen. That's how much of a robot he was. And I mean that in the nicest way. I've never seen a better control pitcher than him. And as far as the best pitcher I've ever seen for a short period was Pedro Martinez, 99-2000. Again, the height of the steroid era. Playing in the American League East, which was loaded in a DH time, <coughs> he for those two seasons had a 1.90 ERA for those two th- seasons combined, and the league ERA for those two seasons was 4.90. He was literally three runs below the league average. I believe he had the best fastball, the best changeup, and the best curveball in the game all at the same time. I don't think there's any other period in history where you can look at a pitcher and say he had the three best pitches in the game at the same time. I'm sure Koufax had the best fastball and curveball at the same time, but Pedro, I believe, is the only one that had the three best. Yeah, that's an amazing statistic in itself because uh, at, at that time, that was probably the toughest division. And uh, and you're talking about control pitchers. You remember uh, – uh, Randy Jones from uh, San Diego. Of course. Guy couldn't break a window pane, but he never, he never threw a hundred pitches in a complete game. This guy, I mean, if, if he threw a hundred pitches, they were in the 11th inning. <laughs> and and uh, you talked about Seaver a little bit. I thought, I thought Seaver was the best pitcher I ever saw because I actually say this all the time. I, I think he was Greg Maddox with about 10 more miles an hour. So <laughs> Now, but he walked more than a thousand people, but he also struck out a lot more than Greg did. But Greg was a, he was a scientist on the mound. He, he studied the hitters. I mean, you could, uh, when he, actually, when he pitched with the Cubs, they had a, a rookie. And the day before this kid was going to get his first start, he sat in the dugout with Greg Maddox. And he said, he taught me everything about what I needed to do the next day. He, he pitched a complete game the next day. He gave up a few hits and he gave up one or two runs, but 
He said, if I don't sit next to Greg Maddox the day before my start, he said, I'd have been lost out there. So he was, he, he was a teacher on the field as well. I mean, I think the Braves looked at him as, as the extra coach because uh, if they'd have some problems, they'd go talk to him too. Right. Famously in a playoff game, he's in trouble late in the game. And Bobby Cox comes to get him and like the bases are loaded. And Maddox looks at Bobby and goes, look, Bobby, you can take me out after this hitter. But I got this guy. He's going to foul out to the third baseman on the first pitch of this at bat. I promise you, leave me in. We're going to get out of this because he's going to foul out to Chipper on the first pitch. So the first pitch comes in. And the guy pops out to Chipper Jones on the first pitch. And he was in fair territory by about six inches. And all his teammates gave him a hard time after the game when they said, you said he was going to foul out to the third baseman on the first pitch. He didn't. Chipper was this far in fair territory. That's who Greg Maddox, the scientist, was. And that's why Bobby Cox trusted him all the time. Yeah. Well, Bobby had some. Bobby had some horses back then. I mean, oh. when you when you got that that lineup in the as your pitching staff, you're you're really good. I mean, I can I can name a couple pitching staffs I thought were close. I think when the the Astros had J.R. Richard and Necro and Andujar, and they and their fourth starter was Nolan Ryan. I thought they were pretty good too. So, but uh, they Bobby had some horses, and that's why they went to the playoffs every year. So. Yeah, I'm always amused when we compare teams to that brave staff. Hey, are they as good as Maddox, Glavin, and Smolton? You have to acknowledge, look, all three of those guys were first ballot Hall of Famers. Let's be careful comparing any threesome to that threesome. Yeah, that was right. like the, when they asked Sparky Anderson who the best catcher was, he'd say, you mean after bench? <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of which, we talk about managers. Who's the one guy you want to have the lineup car for game seven if you own the team? Um, well, Earl Weaver's the greatest manager I've ever been around, but he's been retired and, and gone for years. But in today's game, there are so many good managers. I am still going to go with Tito Francona because I still think that his way with people and the way he gets his players to play and the comfort level that he brings to the dugout and to his players is what makes him the best manager in the game today. Again, the guardians are not that good and they won that division. And it was partly because of Tito Francona's calm hand when things are going wrong. So seventh game of the world series, he's going to walk to the mound and tell a pitcher something that will probably make the guy laugh out loud and most important, relax him. I'm not saying he's the greatest strategist I've ever seen. He's good at that, but he's so good at communicating with people, connecting with people. That's why I still believe he's the best manager in the game. And I think he will in a very close race, will win the manager of the year in the American League this year. What about the National League manager of the year? Um, National League manager of the year, uh, boy, we've got some interesting choices over there. Um, Bob Melvin did an awfully good job keeping that team together. Um, Ali Marmol did a pretty good job there. Buck Showalter took a team that won 78 games and won 101 games, so I hadn't given that much thought, but I would go with Buck Showalter for taking a team that was in deep trouble, the Mets, and leading them to the second most wins they've ever had in one season. Well, if I had a $280 million payroll, I'd probably be pretty good, too. Understood. <laughs> if, if I had Scherzer and DeGrom, I might win some yeah. games, too. But I, I'm sticking with Buck on this. You know, the, the kid in, in Tampa Bay, Cash, he's he's done a great job over the years, and he, and he doesn't have a payroll. Um, so you, you can't leave him out of the scenario, even though Tito's in, in the American League, too. But uh, you, you look over the, the course of the history of, of the game and um, you look back on all the managers. I mean, I remember Dick Williams. I've often said this on this show that uh, Dick Williams, I thought, was a great manager. But Dick Williams was like a, a mercenary. They'd bring him in to straighten the club up and then uh, he'd upset him, en- enough people after his time there that they would get rid of him. And, uh, and uh, then you got guys like Jimmy Leland, who, uh, who was a disciple of the game and he would never put one of his, his players in a position where he thought they'd fail. Um, and I, I think, I think Kevin Cash and, 
and Francona both do that, uh, where they realize what their players can do and, and they put the best person in that position. And, and Lord, it's, it's a tough job because you're weighing, you're weighing what this player is going to do that you're going to put in. You're weighing what they're, what they're going to feel like. You're weighing whether their temperament is going to be good the next day because you're, you're a whole team and they're all looking for you for the leadership. And it's not an easy job. And that's a, that's a tough question to put on you to pick the pick the best manager. Mike Mike's good at putting you on the spot and things like this. So. Right. Hey Joe, tell our listeners what you told me about the all natural B one sports performance and wellness patch that's revolutionizing sports nutrition. Fans, there's no more sugary energy drinks or extra caffeine for an energy boost. The B one patch is fast acting. It's body heat activated and proudly made here in the United States. It's a must have if you're out on the golf course or on the go or just patching up your future major leaguers. Feel good about using this 100% all natural B1 patch from USA National Patches. It's easy to apply, worn by over 200 athletes, and is the official patch of 78 Division I schools. And Mike, I personally used the B1 patch for years, and they've made a a real difference in my life. Visit buyb1.com and enter the code umpire to buy B1 and get one free. I really want you to try these and I want all our listeners to try it. You'll be glad you did. It's the B1 patch. Don't compete without it. That's buyb1.com. Enter the code umpire and buy one and get one free. Managing is harder today than ever. It was easier when Earl managed Earl Weaver because he was in charge of the team. Half the team was scared to death of him. Famously, Earl had an outfielder on his team named Pat Kelly, who we all remember. And Pat Kelly decides during his baseball career, while he's on the Orioles, that he's going to become a minister. So he waits for the perfect, he's waiting for the perfect moment to give Earl, his manager on the team, the big news. So he waits for the poignant moment and he goes to Earl and he says, Earl, I'm going to walk with the Lord. And Earl said, I'd rather you walk with the bases loaded. (laughs) That's how Earl dealt with his players. And it worked back then. That style would not work today. No, it's amazing. When you think about all the people who have control, people in the operations, the analytic people who make the suggestions and, you know, basically in some cases, some teams, they hand you the lineup car. Uh, you don't have as much control. The players are a little savvier. As I remember Dusty Baker. I was talking to him one time after he'd come back to the game. And I said, what did you learn? What have you learned about the game since you've returned? He said, they, the players know how to get you fired quicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's playing it simple. He said, they know how to get you fired compared to when I was here the first time. And, and it made sense because players listen to their agents. They have other people from outside sources. They talk to other players from other teams. And if they don't like you, if they feel like you're not the guy, they, they have a way to be able to do it and not even know that they're doing it. Right. 20 years ago, I said to Frank Robinson while he was managing, I said, and I wasn't being critical. I said, Frank, the players think they're in charge today. And he looked at me and goes, think they're in charge. They are <laughs> in charge. And that is the big difference in today's game. The players have been given this strength and, and it's taken away some of the value and the power of the manager. And I'm not sure that's a great idea. Well, I'm not so sure that all of that comes from the players because I know that Bruce Bochy had a hard time when Sandy Alderson sent him down what the starting lineup was going to be. And I think that's one of the reasons Bochy left San Diego was because he didn't like somebody upstairs telling him what his lineup should be. Um, and Bochy became a very good manager with the Giants. He was a very good manager with the Padres, but he, he became an exceptional man. What He won two World Series, didn't he? Three. With the Giants. Three, yes. Three, Look. One, three. So uh, – all the input you get from the front office is worthy. You should look at it. But I believe once the game begins, you have to leave the game into the hands of the manager. 
I believe certain days we stopped watching the game. We have everything scripted before the game starts. But then when you watch the game, you realize, well, this starting pitcher is only supposed to go five today, but he's got stuff that he's never had before. Maybe we should give him a sixth inning, maybe even a seventh inning. I think we need to continue to watch the games a little bit more uh, as opposed to just watching a computer screen or a set of statistics somewhere. You know, Joe Morgan, we just lost him a, a year or so ago. He, he he, would talk about the analytics, and he said, you know, I trust the analytics, but I also trust the fact that baseball is ever-changing, and you can't depend on the analytics completely. He says, so I have a real problem with saying, you know, this is this because the computer says so. He said, baseball's not played with a computer. It's played with real people. And that, that was one of his, his big things. And he used to talk about that all the time uh, that, you know, I, I agree that we should chart everything. We should, we should understand that so-and-so hits the ball to the right side of the diamond most of the time. But if we pitch him outside and now he hits the ball in the gap the other way, well, you go, well, the analytics didn't say that. Well, no kidding because the game is ever changing. And, and uh, he was, he was, upset that we were depending too much on the analytics. As we wrap things up with Tim Kirchin, Tim, my final question for you, uh, as we've been talking about analytics and statistics, RBIs and things of that nature, what's the one stat that you've trusted more, more and more each day you look at it? Because, and you're a guy who absorbs stats with the best of them, but what's the one stat in your opinion that maybe gets overlooked? Well, I'm not sure it's overlooked, but I think in the avalanche of statistics, we've lost track of what OPS really is. OPS is a combination of how many times do you get on base, which is crucial, combined with how how much are you slugging? Are you not just a singles hitter? Are you driving in runs? Are you hitting extra base hits? I think the combination between um, your on-base percentage and your slugging when, you, when I think people now understand if you have an OPS of 900, you're really, really good. If you get over a thousand, which doesn't happen all that often, you are really, really good. So when we look at that, if you think about what a 400 on base is and a 500 slugging is, that's a 900 OPS. That's the my number one stab for a hitter is is your OPS. And I think we've lost track of that with all sorts of other things going on. If you need to simplify it, that's where I would go. So all that's, right. That's a, that's a big stat, you know, and, and when I was first getting in the game, there was no such stat at all. You know, cause I remember when Jerome Holzman said a, a save should be a statistic too. And they just, I think he invented the, the stat, the save, uh, <clears throat> but the the one the one thing that bothers me in today's market with the these things is a quality start, and I know that came from the agents. A quality start. Well, he had fifteen quality starts. Well, yeah, but he gave up six runs in every one of those fifteen quality starts. So why is that a quality start? Well, this is a big debate, Joe. A quality start is six innings, three runs, which gives you an ERA of 4.50 if you give up three <laughs> runs in six innings. Look, I understand I have come across way too much as some angry old, bitter old man on this, and I am the furthest thing from it. I'm just saying I've seen the game played differently at different times. I've seen some statistics that are good and some that aren't. I'm just saying I love the game so much. It's okay to say we can do better here. We can do better there. And I think we can do better with the quality start stat. Well, I think, base, I think baseball should thank you for being there because you've been a great ambassador for it. And I, I know you love the game as much as, as we all do. I mean, I'm, I'm, you may love it more than anybody I've ever seen, but I, I appreciate everything you've tried to do for the game. And, and, uh, and we really want to thank you for being here. And wow. so we've, we always get together and have a good time and, and we'll have another beer or two together. I promise you. All right. Well, thank <laughs> Tim you, Joe. Thank you, Mike. Good visiting with you, Tim. And uh, best of luck for the remainder of the season. Hopefully I'll see you maybe at the winter meetings and certainly in spring training. Best of health for you, sir. And thank you for what you mean to the game. Okay. Thank you, fellas. Talk to Take you soon. Care.
For Tim Kirch and Joe West, I'm Mike Claiborne. Another edition of 5460, the Joe West Podcast has come your way. We look forward to talking to you down the road in the very near future. My baby took me to the ballpark to see a baseball game. Lord, it had to be at least 99 in the shade. I was stealing a glance at some tight short pants Just as I turned my head My baby grabbed me by the arm and this is what she said If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone You better play it safe and don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me You'll be out at home. You've been listening to 5460, the Joe West podcast here on the Podcast Heat Network. Make sure to subscribe and don't miss an episode each and every Monday. We'll talk to you next week. She's checking all the signs While I'm enjoying two of the great American pastimes It's fouling up my nerve watching all these curves Remembering what she said to me And if I get caught looking, it's gonna be strike three. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. If I catch you playing the field, you're gonna be long gone. You better play it safe and don't do me wrong. Cause if you cheat on me, well, you'll be out at home. If you cheat on me, You'll be out at home If I catch you playing the field You're gonna be long gone You better play it safe And don't do me wrong Cause if you cheat on me Well you'll be out at home If you cheat on me You'll be out at home